if I boil it all down to two, two objectives, which I think it's really important in business, that you have a North Star for not only yourself, but also your team you're working with. For us this season, there's sort of two key things which stand out. One of which is that we want to grow our fan base globally, and that includes some really punchy KPIs, both for our Australia and New Zealand fan base. And then the second one is increasing our brand awareness. As Sal GP is, you know, we're really bullshy with what we aim to do. And so we've got some really punchy KPIs. If you want to have a breakthrough season as, as a sport, and if you, if you want to expand at the rate that we are, you need to kind of set those those benchmarks to work towards. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Olivia Hogan. Liv is the head of marketing and communications for the Asia Pacific at Sail GP. You might remember Liv from our episode on the ground at St. Tropez Sail GP Regatta. Well, today we go deep into understanding her role in growing one of the most exciting leagues in the world in its breakout season. There's lots to look forward to, including her journey through agency land, the pros and cons of working in-house, what her role looks like on race day, and the essential skills you need to step into her role. Oh, and she's also hiring, which is very exciting. So there's lots to look forward to and lots more details on that. So let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the big Marcoms guy, Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in the sports industry. We tease out there to career decisions, work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. The big Marcoms guy. How are you, my friend? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing terrific. Thank you. Another big week on Marcoms from a sports grad perspective. But um, this time of year, it's uh, the big topic going around in any workplace is always what, what's happening for the Christmas party. What are we doing to, to wrap up and, and, and celebrate the year? And um, we have a bit of an issue because you are on the other side of Australia. I'm still in Melbourne. We're about 4,000 kilometers apart. And uh, we're a bit stumped for ideas on what we can do for our Christmas party <laughs> because we need a way to celebrate and we can't do it on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, it, it was giving Zoom vibes. Like originally it was like COVID again where everyone thought it was a good idea to have Friday drinks on a Zoom call. But like, I don't know about you, mate, but we're done with that. I agree. Like that, that actually can't happen. Uh, so if anyone's got any ideas, um, feel free to flick them through. Uh, Christmas party ideas when you're 4,000 k's apart, uh, but it is a it is a challenge, I must say. Well, we could um, like I, I went to our sports grad Friday coffee club catch up that we had in Melbourne the other day, and we we had a great little group congregate in a Cohen Co cafe in Cremorne and had a good chat about everything that's going on in the world. Maybe we could do like a satellite Christmas parties where we just get the members involved and. <laughs> You know, go have a drink yeah, after yeah. work or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I could I could activate the Perth contingent over here. Just to either a coffee or a drink or whatever mm. that might be. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think that's where we're heading. That That's kind of where my head's going. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. It's kind of like double meet up in the month for the, our Perth friends. So, might be good. That's it. Well... Yeah, if we can't have a Christmas party with each other, then we we got to get the members involved. So we'll we'll think of something. Hundred uh, percent. And if, if anyone does have any ideas, reach out. We're we're open ears. Um, but Ruth, speaking of uh, our members in our community, um, there is lots going on at the moment. Uh, plenty of jobs going, which is amazing to see. Plenty going on, which is always incredible. So well done to these people this week. We've got Gautam Aora, who has just joined Spark Event Groups for the Oz Open. This is an exciting time of year, might I say, because the Oz Open is one of the best events in the world, and this is the hiring time for it. So a lot of people getting some very enjoyable inboxes. On that note, Brody Burrows from uh, the great state of uh, South Australia, specifically resides over in Port Lincoln, one of the great shark diving locations in the world he is headed over to the big smoke in melbourne to uh join tennis australia as a social media producer so um 
There's going to be a, a few refills of the of the tank when Brody drives his car through through SA into Victoria for that one. Then uh, Matthew Karagic has also landed a role with B in Sports as a marketing assistant, which is a terrific job in a terrific organization. Uh, hopefully Matthew's hearing this because he should really be tuning into all things marketing. So Liv would be a great one to, to learn from our, our guest today. And then in terms of... Uh, upcoming events well we might have a christmas party you guys can all come to but the other events involve a rookie speed networking night for our sports grad members on december the 11th at 7 p.m where you can come and meet a whole bunch of people in an hour then for our sports grad pro members we are doing speed networking on december 14th at lunchtime 12 p.m so a little lunch and learn to connect with some people before the end of the year then, as always, we've got a massive calendar coming up in in twenty twenty four, and uh, Simon Osborne is going to kick it up, kick it off for us in the new year on the eighteenth of January with a masterclass all about tackling imposter syndrome, which is for both our sports grad and sports grad pro communities. Plus, we have a number of speed networking events, Q, career Q and A's lined up after that. Before we are back in meetup land again, where we uh, get together in early Feb to. Uh, do it all again, Ryan. So never a dull moment. And if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on, as well as events and job opportunities, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter, and you can get a nice little nice little collection of everything uh, in your inbox every Friday. Brilliant. Some awesome events coming up. And I might just say, we've had Simon Osborne come in and do a similar session before on, on imposter syndrome. And I don't think anybody out there has never experienced imposter syndrome. So I'm really looking forward to that. And before you know it, Ruse, we'll be starting the year right with uh, with meetups again. So it's pretty pretty exciting. Amazing. Well, let's get cracking. This is an amazing episode. Uh, enjoy this chat with Liv Hogan. Rubes, we know as much as anyone the stress of receiving your ATAR score. You're absolutely right, Ryan. I remember stressing for days waiting to get my score and I thought if I didn't get it, my life would be over. Bruce, I was the exact same. I still remember the day I was holidaying in Hawaii, getting my ATAR back and thinking the world was literally about to end. Well, for those of you who are like us, don't fear because Deakin University are here to help you take the next step with confidence. Whatever your ultimate career looks like, Deakin will equip you with the skills to make it a reality. God, I wish I had this kind of support back in the day. Visit Deakin on campus between 11am and 4pm on Tuesday, the 12th of December to chat to course experts about your study options, the application process, or join a guided campus tour so you're confident in your preference decisions. Choose the number one Victorian university for graduate employment. Preference Deakin number one and search deakin.edu.au forward slash choose for more. Liv, welcome to the Sports Grade podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me here, guys, today. Um, I've been an avid listener and got to meet Ruben, gosh, just a few events ago in Saint-Tropez, which was very fabulous. So it's awesome to be on um, and to chat to you guys today. It's our pleasure, Liv, and good to see you again as well. I think last time we were walking around the, the tech hub with hard hats on and high-vis vests whilst these cranes were lifting these incredible boats up in the air everywhere, which is um incredible exposure for myself to get so thank you again for showing me that how has the um the rest of the sailing season been going since i left you in france i know Saint-Tropez actually seems like a bit of a distant memory for us we uh have t- gosh taken two more events since then so we went to toronto in italy and then we also went to uh, cadiz which is in spain uh in terms of the australia team specifically their results they are still number one on the leaderboard which is super impressive considering they actually haven't won an event yet this season. Uh, And it was great to have our Kiwi side back on the water. You may recall, Ruben, they had an extraordinary uh, scenario unfold for them in Saint-Tropez where their F50 wing actually blew up, uh, essentially. We've never seen it before in the league. So they were unfortunately unable to sail uh for some time and a bit of back and uh, definitely hunting the aussies let's just say in the leaderboard so it's going to be interesting to see what happens next as we head into um sort of our side of the world going into dubai uh next week and then abu dhabi and then back to apac i I did want to ask about the the new zealand wing because that was incredible and even just being in the tent after it had happened and seeing it up close was phenomenal too to like how many races did that keep them out for 
I will shout out to our incredible tech team um, who essentially did have to rebuild the wing. They had to miss the event after Saint-Tropez, which was Taranto, but then were, were back in Spain, which is, to be honest, quite, quite a miracle and incredible feat. We're just lucky that we've got a centralised tech team uh, and that features, you know, boat builders, hydraulics. And so they were able to essentially do a lot of the build uh, on the go to get the um, the Kiwis back in, on the water. And Liv, for those tuning in, how long between races are we talking? It's a great question. Um, this is our biggest season to date in terms of the sheer number of events we have. I would say at the moment we're almost having an event per month, um, which is a far cry from what we were in season one. I think we had five events spanning over the year. So um, definitely you can see we're sort of building building our portfolio of races with the aim that really it, this will be year round. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Well, just hearing that little snippet's got me pretty pumped to uh, to jump into it. But before we do, and like you said, you're an avid listener, so I don't need to explain the format of the podcast to you, but we've got our quick fire questions, which we start with. So uh, I'll start. Uh, what was the first ever job? Um, so I was really hungry to work. So I remember when I turned 14 in nine months, which is the legal age in Australia that you can take on a job, I was absolutely hitting the pavement and targeting every local shop uh, in Eastwood, Sydney, which is where I'm from, asking them for a job. I think they all just thought, who is this little rat bag turning up in you know, in a school uniform asking for her first paid gig? But I managed to get one with uh, Eastwood News Agency um, being a sales clerk. So definitely a far cry in terms of the industry that I, I've ended up landing in. However, I think my first job did set me up in terms of having that work ethic, turning up to work every day, presenting yourself, you know, to customers, building relationships. So shout out to Eastwood News Agency um, for giving for giving me my first role. I was going to say, and you haven't stopped hustling since. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> That's awesome. And Liv, what did you study at university? I studied a Bachelor of Communications in Public Communication, majoring in advertising at the University of Technology, Sydney. Nice. And your favourite sporting moment? Favourite sporting moment. I think I'd be remiss to not mention one, which clearly is the, the Matilda's penalty shootout. Um, I think that I've never seen a, a sport sort of have the whole country hold their breath at the same time and particularly unite people who who perhaps have never watched football before or aren't sporting fans. But for me, probably my number one sporting moment that I'll, I'll truly never forget was the Australia Sail GP team when we delivered the three-peat in San Francisco for season three. Um, I would say that no one wanted us to win. Um, you know, fans didn't want us to win. Teams didn't want us to win. And sort of when you've already won two seasons straight, everyone just thinks this isn't possible. Like you can't do it. It's time to hand over the dynasty to someone else. So when they they won, which was the most stressful race I think I've ever watched across the sports in terms of how close it was with the Kiwis, um, when they crossed that finish line, I probably got more emotional than I ever thought I would uh, in a sporting event. I love that. So for people who don't follow sailing too closely, like um, – it is incredible to see how good Australia are in the world at sailing, given what we're up against. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, we really are not only creating a team that, you know, that's winning in Sail GP, but really they are the best team within this sport globally and worldwide. And I think they're sort of almost building this dynasty that I think we'll remember for generations to come. Probably the last time we saw something like this was the America's Cup. Australia Challenger team, um, where John Bertrand was was a key a key part of that and sort of known as a legend, um, both not just in sailing but in in sport in general in Australia. And I feel like we are um, building ourselves to sort of to sort of be that that next team that people will look up to even five generations in when people are learning to sail, which is pretty special. Absolutely. And uh, Liv, what's your favourite inter interview question that you like to ask of candidates? This would probably actually, I'd be surprised, I'd be interested to know if anyone's ever had this one. But for me, I, I think that when, you, when you're going through an interview, right, we always know that people can prepare quite well. You sort of generally know the sort of flow of an interview question. So what I really like to ask, and it's straight off the back, it's the first question before we dive into the role or anything like that, is I actually ask them to give you their elevator pitch. 
in 30 seconds or less and tell me why you're right for the job. Um, they've only got 30 seconds. I'll cut them off after that. And I find um, it really differs the candidates in terms of who really believes that, that they are right for this role, who's passionate about it, but also who can think on their feet, which you need in this job when you're sort of moving at a you know, million miles an hour and you need to jump on things quickly. That is a great one because like everyone can speak about themselves, but not in like specific time periods. Like how do you speak about yourself in five minutes versus one minute versus 30 seconds? Not many people can kind of cut that down in a well-organized manner. Yeah, exactly. And you know what else I find that generally because you've only got, you know, 30 seconds and I've just sort of thrown you in the deep end, it will really get to the heart of, of who they are as a person and what are their skills and how are they going to fit in that team because they've only got 30 seconds. So generally it'll be the, the sort of key points that are at the front of their conscience, right, when they're going into the role. So I kind of find it cuts that fluff when you're interviewing, you know, 50 plus people of what, what at the heart they they see themselves in this role and why they think they're suited. Definitely a, uh, a sink or swim question, I reckon. Absolutely. <laughs> like to keep people on their toes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what's what's one book or, or podcast that's helped you at work podcast i'm gonna go with mark boris straight talk um i've been listening to a lot lately i kind of love his um i can't swear on this is that says no bullshit approach but that he's just it's unfiltered it's raw uh, and i think he interviews some really interesting people not just across sport but in business in general um, and I've been able to take a lot of insights from their learnings as well that I even have applied to, to my role currently. Mm, that is great. Well, we've had a couple bring that up. Uh, are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs, Liv? Um, so I, I was um, and still very much watching on from the sidelines. I um, was part of the first female rugby sevens team who were brought into a club called Hunters Hill Rugby Club. So it was a 100-year-old club. They'd never had a female team before in the sport. And I was really privileged to be one of the sort of the, the starting members of that, both from an athlete perspective, but also I ended up joining the committee within the club um, to help grow female sport grassroots wise within the club. Um, unfortunately, I had to hang the boots up because I was traveling so much, uh, but still very much watch on. It's, it's sort of quite a special moment to see the club, how they've expanded even since then and just the new young female talent they're bringing in, which is super cool. Out of interest, what was your role on the committee? Uh, so I was head of communications and uh, athlete engagement. So obviously using using my traditional PR skills of how we, how we bring in new women into this sport, how are we getting them to be part of the club, how are we presenting ourselves, how are we getting commercial sponsorship. Um, it actually was really quite, quite f- fabulous that my sister, um, she was the club captain, and she also was part of it. She's actually a lawyer by trade. So kind of the both of us together um, joined the committee, which is awesome. What a dream team. I think that's awesome that like, you know, you've got all this amazing skill set doing at one of the best professional leagues in the world and you're able to bring that back to a, a grassroots club and make an impact in the community. That's really cool. Amazing. Liv, in the last one, if you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Mine actually be Stephanie Rudnick. So uh, she is the head of comms for the Angel City FC Football Club. Um, I actually had, had the chance to listen to her speak at an awesome event that was done by the Office of Sport in the lead up to the FIFA Women's World Cup. Um, she is an incredible human being, both from her experience, but also what she's just done in terms of starting the first female football club that um, they've ever seen in LA and uh, with a majority female ownership mind you um, which is really unique for the sport and also the star power of some incredible females that they've brought on in that ownership model so the likes of Natalie Portman, America Ferreira um, and I'd love to pick her brains in terms of I think what they've done really well which is found their unique niche within the sport, but also that they're driven by this this community engagement piece and their fans at the heart, which I'm sure that I know we could probably learn lots from in terms of Sal GP, but I think in general, the sport should be looking at, at what they're doing and they're really breaking barriers um, for women in sport as a whole. We're going to have to get her on because you are probably the third or fourth person who's mentioned her name to me saying like, you have to get Steph on and... Um... Maybe in season 2024, we'll, we'll have to uh, find a way to get her on this podcast, Ryan. I, I did actually see her at an event once, Rubes, and I asked her, 
So if Steph would be listening, obviously. So this is a little yep. maybe just a reminder about that conversation, and she was more than happy to jump on. So stay tuned. Twenty twenty four, Steph's coming to the pod, hundred percent. Liv, we'll have to get in touch and ask uh, any questions you want to pass on to her. Oh, I could take up the whole session just with my questions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest that she's um she's absolutely awesome. And from seeing her speak at this event, she was super inspiring and really passionate about what she does, which is what it's all about, right? You, you, you need to to love it and to believe in it to work in this industry. So she's definitely um, at the forefront of that. Mm. Well, let, let's dive into your career now and a bit about your journey into sport and a bit about what you do at Sale GP. And I'm glad you mentioned that it's super important to to love what you do because to kick things off, we'd love to know what do you love most about your job at, with Sale GP. It's a great question. Probably, if I if I were to kind of pick my my top selections, one it's it's being able to tell the stories of these athletes and teams that that are pioneering our sport and really redefining this concept of sailing as we've previously seen it. I like to think that I um, I'm a bit of a storyteller in terms of what I'm passionate about and what I'm good at. So for me, having the opportunity to celebrate these athletes and what they've accomplished is something that I love most about the job. The second one would have to be the teams that we get to work in. So Sal GP being a, a global organisation, we are working with uh, colleagues from around the world, um, you know, across Europe, across America, across APAC. So being able to have the greatest minds who are working across everything from commercial, you know, sales, marketing, PR, broadcast, we really do have, I believe, the best talent uh, in the sporting industry right now. So being able to work with, with people who are awesome at their jobs and passionate about what they do has to be um, another one. And then really for me, it's, it's around what we're producing in our product. I know I've said this previously, but we really are redefining racing as it's known. And I think for to have a sport that one is sort of redefining that concept of how you can watch sailing and bringing it closer to fans with stadium style racing, but also being a being a sport that has the ambition to to be the world's most sustainable and purpose driven global sports and entertainment property, that is that is new and we're seeing sport and entertainment platforms sort of slowly um, slowly get there. But we really are pushing the boundaries in terms of I guess incorporating sustainability into our DNA in terms of what we do, um, which as we know with with climate change. We, we need to to be looking at how, how we're going to safeguard our planet for future generations. So it's awesome to be part of a, a business that truly and wholeheartedly is, is trying to work towards creating a better planet um, for our future. I think particularly what you said on uh, the people front, like I, I was there in Saint-Tropez and got to experience firsthand just how far and wide all these people have come together. And um, I think it was when I met this bloke called Walker from the US who's like one of the one of like ex Navy SEAL or something now is like a, you know, search and rescue deep dive guy who's like there to, you know, make sure everyone's, um, you know, can get through the race okay. Who had these like very specialized skill set that had to be developed in the military and he's brought it across. That's when I was like, wow, like this this sport has got a lot of incredible minds coming together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would like to say that what has attracted these you know brilliant minds and people who really are at the top of their their game is what we're producing at SRGP and I think people really believe in in our product and can see that we are creating the next future of, of not only the sport of sailing but even the way in which you consume sport you enjoy sport um you know with our our award-winning broadcast products so I think that generally, you know, it's obviously creating a great work environment, but I also think that we've created something that people want to be a part of. Mm. Well, even um, uh, Melissa Lawton, Chief Content Officer, um, I caught up after her podcast with her in, uh, in London and said, like, you know, are you ever tempted to come back to Australia? I think she's been away from Australia for a while now. And she said, like, no, like the, the challenge and the excitement of working on Sale GP has, like, got me very uh glued in here so like even for people like her it's like you know there's nowhere else in the world like you'd rather be so it is quite incredible what you guys are producing yeah exactly it's it's almost addictive in a way because i think that we have just seen particularly for me having been a part of the league really since it it all started and to see the growth that we've had in just a few short years 
I think you want to stay on the train and you want you want to see what's happening next. And every season we just take a sit, sit back and we probably don't celebrate our wins enough, to be honest, because we move at such a pace. We're more like a startup than we are kind of a, a traditional sporting league. But um, I think everyone just wants to see what's next. I mean, we've achieved more probably than we, we thought we would in four seasons. And that's addictive and you want to be a part of that. Liv, for those tuning in who might not, know how SailGP runs and we might put you on the spot here we'll give you a couple of minutes to explain it but how does a SailGP season run just to give someone the, the context around it yeah so we are a to sort of explain it we're often compared to being the Formula One on water so for those motorsport fans who may be tuning in it's quite similar in the way in which we format it so it's it's a global championship so we've got national teams We've got currently 10 10 national teams in the roster uh, and those teams are all competing in what I like to kind of call that nation versus nation rivalry, which I know as an Australian we absolutely love. Uh, And they race in really short, intense races that are sort of designed to almost be stadium-style racing. So most of our events you'll see that where the fans are, it's almost like we build grandstands and a race stadium, as we call it, right against the water which is quite revolutionary for sailing um, for people who may have seen the likes of America's Cup, seen Hobart. It's all offshore. It's away from the fans. Unless you've got a boat, you can't watch it. Whereas Sail GP is really trying to break that barrier and allowing the fans to get right in the heart of the action. And then the, the boats that they sail, so they're all identical, what we call F50 catamarans. So they're these supercharged foiling boats. They can go up to ripping speeds of up to 100 kilometres an hour. And all of the teams are racing identical boats, which means when you look at the the race results, it really comes down to the best athletes on board as opposed to other sporting concepts, um, even F1 to a certain extent, where it's about the level of cash investment that you can have to adapt your race car. Or in the America's Cup, it's adapting their boats. So it really levels out the playing field, which means that really the, the best team in the world, they're the ones that are, are winning this thing, which in terms of our, our team roster, you'll see it features the, the sport's best athletes. We've we've got literally the best sailing athletes across every nation competing in this league. That That is the part that I think I find most interesting about the sport is that every single boat is identical and everyone's got the same garage team. It's not like anyone's like doing secret stuff. Like everyone kind of has to like, confined to the same rules and whatnot like you mentioned the the new zealand boat wing it's gone it's like you know same people are building that as the who are building the the australia boat whereas um i think you know my only criticism of formula one is that you know oh max verstappen wins again because he's got the fastest car or you know lewis hamilton was doing for years and then it became a bit predictable whereas this is um um as you say putting the best athletes and their skills to the forefront of who wins yeah exactly and and i guess because we've been able to attract sort of the best talent um across all of those countries you know we can confidently say that this is a race of who the best who is the best in the world you know when you look at we've got tom slingsby we've got sir ben ainsley we've got jimmy spithill um just to, to name a few um and then we've got amazing athletes like nina curtis who have joined this this roster of talent it really is setting the standard for who is that who is the top dog in this sport in the world the other thing that i'd love to get you to explain is um how the like ownership of the teams are structured too because from what i believe like the league started owning all the boats and then sold them out how has that worked and evolved over these seasons yeah so our uh, championship was founded by larry ellison so he's the founder of Oracle and he found it with our, our co um, his CEO, who is Russell Coote. So the whole premise of why this league was created was they were both obviously heavily involved in the America's Cup and saw such a missed opportunity in creating a year-round global championship with the sport's best athletes that fans could tune into, you know, month on month and follow, but also where it wasn't this race of which team has more money. So Larry started it with um, ownership of all of all teams, um, and then we've built in a franchise model. So as as the league has progressed, uh, there's an opportunity for either new owners to come in and enter the league with a purchase team. So uh, an example of that recently would be our Germany team, who joined the league uh, and are owned by uh, uh, Riedel Thomas Riedel, and um, also invested by Sebastian Vettel, uh, who was obviously a Formula uh, One driver. 
once a team uh, joins, either they can join as a new team, independently owned, or we've also have teams we purchased. So just last week, the USA team was sold. Um, super exciting to a group of um, investors that feature really across sport, entertainment, acting, um, really the who's who uh, within the US market. And once they're, once they're essentially owned, they operate like an independent business. Um, of course, though, the boats all remain the same. So it really is just around sort of how they, they operate as a team. Uh, I would say at the moment, we've got uh, a few teams that are still owned by the league. So Australia and New Zealand are, are one of those. But the objective as we continue to grow is to have most of those teams be completely independently owned within the league. Um, we obviously still do maintain a centralised tech team given the boats are identical so even when you're owned you're still utilizing those services how do they determine and we're going slightly off track here but how do they determine what boat to fix if they, say there's like three boats that have snapped their hull or something how do they determine who gets fixed first it's a great question um i'm sure it's one that probably different teams love differing opinions on generally how it will work is based on the incident itself so if there's a you know a major collision that involves multiple teams, we would look at which team caused the collision. If there's a really clear um, way to identify that, and then we would look at, for instance, if it's a team that you know crossed in front of the other boat, and actually that would have been a penalty had they not then collided. We would then look at supporting the other boat who was part of the collision but didn't actually cause it. We also look at what the level of damage is and then sort of create almost a working roster of where do those repairs sit, how, how quickly can we get them done, you know, if there's perhaps some that are, and I'm obviously speaking outside of my wheelhouse slightly here, but um, they generally do an assessment of well, what, what's feasible in the time we've got for the next race, what gear do we actually have on site, which can be used to fix them, and then we sort of make that decision um, from there. Amazing. I think for anyone who didn't know about the sport, they're probably, you know, hooked in now and looking for jobs around the world. Um, let's talk about your journey. How, how did you find your way into Sail GP? What were the series of steps and jobs that you took from that news agency to uh, landing at Sail GP? Yeah, it's um, good old Eastwood, Eastwood News Agency. I feel like I've got to run down and tell <laughs> Harry, my old boss. He'll be thrilled. Yeah. Um, he'll be very proud. He'll be very proud. Uh, so I um, obviously started at uni at UTS and actually majored in advertising. I always have had quite a quite a creative mind. So I kind of always saw myself sitting in that sort of ad agency, you know, doing major brand campaigns for sport. And it was quite serendipitously that whilst I was studying, I was really hungry to get work experience. And I was hunting around looking for internship opportunities. And a, a friend of mine had mentioned that uh, an agency that she knew of called Maxo Thomas PR, who are now officially sort of known as Stark Matthews, who purchased the agency. Um, she knew the team lead who sort of ran the intern program. And I'd done quite a bit on PR within sort of some of my subjects. So I thought, oh, that, that sounds like an awesome opportunity. Um, I went, I interviewed, I, I got the, um, the internship. So I ended up working there two or three days a week unpaid for quite a while. I want to say it was about nine months. Um, interestingly, that was a beauty and lifestyle PR agency so had nothing to do with sport but I was managed to get awesome experience in terms of I guess working agency side servicing clients all of those best practices around PR uh, and then worked worked really really hard um, and sort of built those relationships within the agency um, so I was offered a paid role uh, while I was at uni following my internship and then sort of the, the way in which it flows which is why I'd always say to everyone when you're at uni, get an unpaid internship. It is really how you're going to get your first gig when you graduate. And then when I graduated, they offered me a full-time role. So I worked there, gosh, for I want to say about two years, worked my way up. And then um, the agency was sold to Stark Matthews, two amazing um, females who own that, which I just love to see. Uh, and they were brilliant. But I actually ended up getting approached by another former colleague to work for Thrive PR. And for me, I was sort of at that turning point, um, I guess, in my earlier career where I, I'd i enjoyed sort of working more for the lifestyle consumer brands, but I had always had such a passion for sport 
and always saw myself sort of working within the um, sport industry. And so when this job was was sort of um, offered to me from one of my former colleagues, I could see that they had some awesome um, portfolio of, of brands like Optus Sport. And sort of as in taking the role, I'd sort of express interest to them that, hey, I'd love this role. And I get sort of I'm starting off more in the tech space. But can we can we look to to bring me on to some of those, you know, sporting brands, which I'll have to um, give a shout out to Leilani Abels, who, who owns um, Thrive PR. She absolutely threw me in the, the thick of it and got me working on on awesome, you know, awesome clients like Swimming Australia, um, worked across some of the, the AFL work that they did. And then Optus was our major client there um, and they'd launched Optus Sport. And an opportunity came came there where they sort of needed an in-house PR support, essentially like a publicity manager. So almost similar to what um, what I, I did with the Australia team. And they needed a sort of a gun to hire to get into quickly, be in the office a couple of days a week, work remotely and help build the Optus Sport product, um, their their commentary team, their talent. And so I was I was able to to jump in and take that role and absolutely fell in love with one the concept I guess of of working quite directly with with a sporting property, and being able to kind of be behind the scenes of understanding the broadcast production of it as an entertainment product, but also you know looking at how we how we really leveraging our roster of incredible talent, which was the likes of you know Mark Schwarzer. Um, so really, really incredible talent. How we, how do we utilize and tell their stories, but also promote Optus Sport, which at that time was um, was the broadcast partner for Premier League. Uh, they then went on to do the FIFA World Cup as well. Um, and I would say in doing that for gosh, it would have been about a year. I just knew that that's would be where my future my future would lie. Um, and shortly after that, we ended up winning the Sale GP account which I was involved quite heavily in, in terms of launching the Australia team into market in 2018. Uh, and then our very first ever event of Sal GP was actually in Sydney. Um, so as part of my role with Thrive PR, we did you know the launch strategy, all the media ops around that event. Um, and it got to about, the I want to say about a week or two before the event and Tom Singsby didn't have a PR manager hadn't had a chance to hire anyone and it had a sort of a, a little bit to do with me sort of through through the agency work and so he approached Thrive and said would could live you know work during the event um sort of again on a secondment which I obviously jumped at the opportunity for absolutely loved it uh and then sort of the rest is history in terms of how I sort of then went over um to Sal GP um and yeah then I was there ever since I love that it's kind of like, you know, if you're like trying to find a roundabout way into sport, one approach could be get into an agency, win that agency some work with a sport and then do a good enough job with that sport so that they then pick you up. <laughs> I know. I don't know. don't know if everyone was completely thrilled about it, but um, <laughs> it, it definitely it definitely was the way. And I, I mean, I'm always a, a big believer of opportunities will come to those that, that want them and that are hungry for them. And... So kind of every opportunity I was given by Thrive, I tried to work really hard, deliver really strong results, build those relationships, which I think just kept allowing me to then enter that next opportunity, you know, when we went to pitch for Sal GP, of being able to, to sort of be really involved in managing that account and um, and bring it to Australia. Yeah, I, I think that's the route, Rubes. I think you definitely hear a lot of stories of people going to agency land and going to rights holders, you know. So it's a, it's a nice little... Little path if people are looking to get in. Um, Liv, we know that um, we know that a career in sport is never just rosy. Uh, there's always ups and downs. Are, are there any sort of challenges that you face to to get to where you are today? I think I think in the sport industry, it's it it is a challenging industry. It's really fast paced, um, and so I think that you've you've got to find a way to to find your place within that and to really utilize what you're great in within that sport. I would say it probably took me a couple of years of working in an agency and, and working across different clients. So everything from, you know, Asus, which is a, a huge tech brand 
to working in Optus Sport, to working in grassroots SMB through Optus um, and their SMB network. And I think for me, probably probably one of the, the, the biggest challenges was really nutting down of where do I want to work within sport and what does that look like? Do I want to stay in agency and be able to walk across numerous sporting properties and really sink my teeth into various sports? And for me, the crosswords were, or do I go in-house? I think that when you are born and bred in agency, you do probably have that perception, which generally people in agency will also feed through to you of, you'll get bored in-house. It's not the same. It's not as fast paced. It's a lot more politics. There's a lot more stakeholders. Stay in agency and work across. And almost people people sort of used to say to me that almost going in-house is kind of when you go out to pasture. That's where you that's where you go and you're sort of in your you know late thirties to early forties and you're sort of ready to quieten down. I would say for anyone listening, that is absolutely not the truth. Um, and don't hold back from going in house because you're an agency and people perhaps say that to you. I think if you find the right brand, sport property, entertainment property to go into that is doing great work and pushing the boundaries, you're never going to be bored. It is such a common challenge that a lot of people face, like what do I do with my career and, and where am I best fit? And not only just like the type of work, but like the type of people that, you know, who you work with or, you know, what their office is like or, you know, where the client is, like where you're going to do the work. Like there's so many different factors involved in finding the the ideal workplace. And um, it's funny you mentioned the, um, the perception of working in-house versus at an agency because... Ryan, I reckon I remember saying to you back in the day when we were at Cricket Australia, something along the lines of like, are we here too early? Like, have we made it into commercial at Cricket Australia too too early in our careers? Like, should we be out doing fun stuff like game development or, or something else? Like, um, so yeah, those little things like kind of do chip away and form a perception of, you know, what should you be doing with your life? <laughs> yeah, I would say though, um, gosh, I'm glad that I did the route I did and, and did agency first. I think that what you can learn from having one, you know, multiple experience across different agencies, but also getting to work with such a wide range of managers, directors, owners, it set me up in terms of my skill set, my experience, my multifaceted experience that I think that had I gone the other way and started in-house, I just don't think that I would have had the ability to do my role as well as I did because I were able to pull from and predominantly amazing women that I got to work for and bring that into my in-house. So I absolutely would never have changed the route that I that I went to get to where I am. Mm. It's kind of like how uh, people who grow up playing lots of sports end up better at one particular sport by the time they're ready to go professional as opposed to people who just go, go in on all in on one. Um, Liv, in terms of the work that you're doing now, what's the main objective for for you and your department and and are there any specific things that you guys get measured on in particular? Yep, that's a great question. Um, I would say for us, we're sort of, our positioning is we're in our breakthrough season here at SARGP and there's sort of two key objectives. If I boil it all down to two, two objectives, which I think it's really important in business, that you have a North Star for not only yourself, but also your team you're working with. Uh, and for us this season, when I sort of boil all of those elements down of our roles, there's sort of two, two th- key things which stand out. One of which is that we want to grow our fan base globally. Uh, and that includes some really punchy KPIs, both for our Australia and New Zealand uh, fan base. And then the second one is increasing our brand awareness. And that's sort of cultivated through several channels. So that's everything from our brand awareness, you know, from a digital perspective, from a broadcast perspective, um, you know, we work with YouGov. So we're actually going out and reporting on how that's shifting. Um, I would say, you know, we've, as SALGP is, you know, we're really bolshy with what we aim to do. And so we've got some really punchy KPIs um, that we're working towards and that, you know, more so stretch KPIs. But I think if you want to have a breakthrough season as, as a sport and if you if you want to expand at the rate that we are, you need to kind of set those those benchmarks to work towards. How do you measure Australian and New Zealand fans? Like what constitute that? Because like, do you guys sell a membership or something? And I guess it'd be hard to because you're going all around the world. So how do you define an Australian fan? Yeah, it's um, it's a great question. Um, I would say in terms of, we obviously have metrics that we use. So we do um, YouGov reporting, which tracks everything from our 
social following. So that is, you know, an element of our fan base to our broadcast viewership, which obviously is a reflection of, of the fans and how that's growing sort of event on event. And that's particularly around who are those fans that are tuning in live to watch us and then who's watching, you know, our on-demand product after racing, which is on Care Sports in Australia and on three in New Zealand. So there's sort of several ways in which we do it, but it really is across, I'd say, digital broadcast. Um, and then we also cultivate it through actual surveying. So working with our partner Deloitte. Um, interestingly, I would say our, our brand awareness in Australia is actually doing really, really well um, compared to previous seasons. Um, and I think probably we'll end up increasing our KPIs for this year, which is a good problem to have. Um, <laughs> but we, and we obviously report internally as well. We, in terms of how we engage with fans, it's a great, it's a great point, right? Because we're not like NRL, like we don't have, you know, gosh, I want to say probably 50 matches, you know, a year that are all in Australia. We're a global, we're a global sporting property. And like F1, we're traveling around the world at time zones that aren't really palatable for our fans to dial in. And so there's definitely a challenge for us of how are we engaging with fans? How are we drawing that dedicated fandom season-wide when we've only got one home event in Australia where they can come, they can touch and feel the league. They, you know, they see it take over Sydney. They're, you know, they're tuning in at home at a, a time that's sort of great for Aussies. And so that's probably where my role um, really comes into play across Australia and APAC of looking at, well, how, how do we achieve that? So how are we achieving that from a, a marketing perspective? How are we achieving that from a digital and social perspective? How are we achieving that from a comms and PR? Um, and then how are, we, how are we working on engaging with our grassroots sport? So we work really closely with Australian Sailing to do so. And then how are we engaging with the fans once we've got them? How are we keeping them engaged in our product season-wide, which, you know, we've just launched our um, fan platform, which is called The Dock, which kind of to your point, Ruben, is is actually almost like a, a subscription service. I mean, it's unpaid, but fans can sign up. Um, they can earn point rewards for engaging. That's where they get exclusive content. Uh, and then we've obviously got our, our EDM database as well, which we engage with, which is around, gosh, I want to say it's over 15,000 now um, in Australia and um, similar for New Zealand as well. Wow. It's all happening. It's like literally a 101 of like how to keep fans happy. Like, <laughs> Genuinely, but we're definitely never short of work here at Saudi P. No, <laughs> but it is interesting that like just to hear you talk about that because there are so many sports, I guess here, like personally for me, like the UFC comes to mind. Like a lot of the events are outside of Australian time. You know, there might be one or two a year here. Um, and that's probably a similar challenge for them. It's like everything's on US or everything's in Europe. And, you know, the time to watch it is like a Sunday afternoon i think probably the main spot is so it's um yes it's interesting to hear you sort of talk about that and how you're actually able to keep aussie fans you know on the train despite only having that one event i guess it makes that one event you know the most important thing of the year um i know i might have touched on this touched on this a little bit earlier but can understand sort of what what your role looks like i guess before race day and then also you know between the regattas i know you mentioned they're sort of a month apart so what does that sort of time look like for you i'll talk through us to race day so um although i'm head of apac uh, marketing comms um i still do have a role um working as a senior marcoms manager for the australia team as well uh while we while we find someone we're sort of recruiting for that role currently uh in terms of a race week um we obviously fly in so we're flying anywhere of upwards of 400 staff to these events so you can imagine just the sheer operation we're talking to i want to say that number's probably come down recently because i think we've you know as a business that's focused on sustainability we are looking at moving people to be working remotely one of the most exciting things which hopefully you will all see in sydney is our coaches are now actually working remotely so they're not on the water delivering the coaching. We've managed to work with our team on some incredible technology, which allows them to be onshore um, with almost, I like to call them war rooms, where they can be dialing in live, pulling data live on all the competitors in the boats, and then dialing live back into wow. the athletes on the water to offer coaching. 
little tidbit of exciting information. You hopefully will see it in Sydney, um, but it's super cool. Um, but in terms of uh, my my sort of role, so we we generally land quite a quick turnaround. I would say a day uh, before we have our practice race day of racing. So. My role when I'm on site is I need to be driving as much awareness and engaging with our fans of this event remotely there into Australia as I possibly can. So that obviously a key component is is the comms piece. So that includes, you know, from the moment I'm on the ground um, on practice race day and race days, I'm drafting media materials. I'm looking at what's that narrative? What's the skew that we're looking to to target here? What's our key storyline? And then I'm creating sort of that narrative for journalists and pitching it out. Uh, and that also includes obviously the race results. So, you know, what has happened, what has happened from, from the race day. What I would say is that sailing and, you know, sail GP, we aren't a, a mainstream sport quite yet in Australia, like we are with, you know, NFL and NRL. So um, AFL and NRL, sorry. So we are, we're fighting for space in our newspapers, in our, you know, in our digital articles. So we, we need to be quite strategic in terms of unearthing, like, why should these media outlets care about SLGP? What's what's the real news hook here? And so that's sort of what I'll work from. Normally when I'm on the flight, I'm already starting to jot down notes of sort of where do I see that narrative is taking? I'll look at my race report from the, you know, the event before to see if there's any story angles there that we're sort of revisiting. I'll look at other teams as well um, in the league and look at sort of where they're positioned and other stories that have come out from them in sort of the past couple of weeks that might be relevant to our media. Uh, so then ensues the chaos of race day. So I'm drafting those media materials. I'm obviously watching the racing live as well. Um, and then as soon as that racing moment is finished, we take our athletes off. We do media interviews. They're doing media mix zones. I'm making sure we're happy with all of the assets we're ready to pitch at and then I'll, I'll be pitching out sort of my local time and then I'll be awake generally overnight on and off, um, following up with those media obviously who are in Australia given the time zones. So I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, and then our, sort of our objective as well as giving those assets is looking at who are those sort of number one outlets in Australia. We want to be having one-on-one -on -one interviews with, right? So we want to be really building out that story with them. And that's when then I'll be pitching in sort of one-to-one -one athlete interviews um, with our key athletes. Obviously, Tom Slingsby is always one that, I um, mean, he's the CEO and he's the driver of our team. So he generally is our talking head uh, for media interviews. And then I'm constantly tracking that coverage throughout the weekend. Um, also, um, which doesn't happen every event, but there's generally an element of crisis comms that we have to be prepared to do. Um, you know, as with racing, the fastest boats, um, you know, there's there's danger involved and there can be crashes, there can be collisions, there can be injuries. So when there is a moment out on the water, um, I'll be involved in that both from my role as the Australian Malcolms Manager, so jumping straight into crisis comms response, key messaging, working with all our internal stakeholders on that, but also in my APAC role, I do provide support globally. So if there's a major collision in the water, um, you know, that involves multiple votes, I'll jump in to help support our global comms team on that approach as well, just to be an extra sort of body on the ground for that as well. Um, and then as well as sort of doing that, that traditional comms piece, there's also, you know, piece you've done with digital marketing. So we've got an incredible APAC social media manager, Vinny, but I work really closely with him at events across Australia and New Zealand of what's the content that we're getting out of this event? What are the narratives that I'm pushing out from a comms perspective relative to the Aussie team? How are we complementing those from a digital perspective? How are we promoting our broadcast product? Um, so how we have that kind of really sort of starts a week before, but how are we getting people to drive and tune in live? Um, so that is another key element. And then also I obviously support the, the New Zealand team. I've got an amazing um, Marcoms lead there in New Zealand. So I'm more there just as a sounding board, particularly if, if an incident pops up. Um, and then when we sort of wrap up, a key part of the role is also reporting. So I'm looking at how are we reporting back to our internal stakeholders? How are we promoting the awesome, awesome work that we've done across Australia? Uh, how are we communicating that to our partners? So our event partners and our team partners as well to make sure that, you know, internally our work is being seen, but also that we're managing that externally and managing that with our, our partners that we've got on board as well.
That's in a really short so, nutshell. I feel like I could go on for like another amazing. half an hour. That's so good. If someone wanted to know like what your job title does, you've just <laughs> given the greatest little synopsis of all time. No wonder you need someone in that that role for sure. Where, where, where can someone <laughs> find you if someone wants to uh, apply for that job? Um, yeah, please hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, my name's Olivia Hogan, surname. Uh, and yeah, you'll find me on LinkedIn. So by all means, shoot me a message. You could be on the water sailing around the world with the SailJP team. <laughs> you, you can get a little bit more sleep, Liv, and they can maybe take over some of that midnight sort of comm stuff. That'd be good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Liv, your media and comms gun, what is one or two skills that you reckon have served you well over the journey? It's a great question. I would say, you know what, actually, it's, it's an interesting one because when I, when I first joined Sail GP, I obviously was very heavily experienced in comms um, and marketing I'd had experienced in uh, sort of through my work with the agencies, right, in terms of working really closely with that marketing department. A lot of our sort of, to be honest, a lot of our execution, our strategy sort of fed into to marketing and vice versa. But I would say my my holistic understanding of how you how you can promote something to the masses and create those human interest stories has set me up really well in my expanded role as head of marketing or APAC, um, as well as well as that comms piece. Because when you look at marketing, you know fundamentally you're trying to engage with fans and you're trying to bring SailGP in the hearts and homes of people who have either never heard of SailGP or they're a casual sports fan that love watching sport, but again, they sort of have a preconceived notion of, of sailing. So I think that storytelling element that I really refined in my comms roles in agencies has really helped me in terms of building that marketing strategy narrative locally here in Australia and also then looking at how we're doing that effectively in New Zealand as well. The next skill would be uh, probably internal stakeholder management. So again, this is another shout out to having agency experience because when you're when you're in an agency, you're obviously managing multiple clients, um, multiple internal stakeholders as well. And when you're working for a huge global company, um, there are several internal stakeholders that you have to manage and work with, um, both within your um, sort of area or department, but also, you know, senior leadership team, execs. And so having that experience of how you're, one, promoting the work that your team is doing, but also managing their expectations, um, you know, differing expectations across different departments, managing timelines. That for me is a skill that I feel like I've really developed over the years and one that you really need in this role. And I would say even, you know, in my previous role as a team Marcoms manager, um, even as, you know, a, sort of a, a senior manager, um, even as an exec, you need that skill set. And I think it's a really critical part of being able to develop yourself in the business, but also developing your personal profile within the business is your ability to manage those stakeholders. Amazing. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of, up-and-coming Marcoms people who would be honing in on those right now. Um, one last question before we wrap up. For anyone who uh, looks at the sports industry and just thinks about the major sports in, say, Australia, AFL, NRL, cricket, and thinks that's a be-all and end-all, what would you say to them to get them to consider sailing? I think what you, what's unique about SailGP, and look, I'm a ride-or-die NRL fan, so totally get the attraction i'm a newcastle knights fan um i think for sale gp what i think it offers to young up-and-coming talent that perhaps nfl and afl don't have is the ability to to work on a property that's got global impact we're talking about a league here that is broadcasting gosh i think it's over now it's over 187 territories worldwide and you're working in an environment where as I mentioned before, for the good or the bad, we almost operate like a startup, which means we take risks as a business. We're willing to try new things. We're hungry to constantly improve and evolve, which is such a great experience to be in because your voice is heard, but also no idea is too crazy for SailGP. And we're constantly looking at how do we push the envelope for how people are watching and enjoying sport. And I think perhaps with you know, looking in Australia, you know, some of those other sporting codes, they've got such a rich and long history 
but quite often they're a very slow moving beast. And I think that for me is what is so unique and sexy about SailGP is that we are running at a million miles an hour. We're in season four and we are willing to take risks as a business to really challenge what the concept of sport is, the concept of sailing, the concept of how broadcast is con consumed. Uh, and I think that's a really exciting thing to be. And I think while NRL and AFL are amazing sports, have a rich history, I think that they are not moving at the pace at which style GP is. Nice. Well, if you're listening and you want a fast-paced environment and don't want to be stuck in the mud, I think uh, style GP might be for you. Ruse, before we before we wrap up, any other episodes people can listen to around? Obviously, we had or done style GP before, but sort of this marketing comms area as well. Yeah, I was going to say if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 253 where. Liv uh, kindly invited me around the uh, the tent of Sail GP and introduced me to uh, a dozen or more people. So we got a, f a lot of quick interviews for people who want to find out all the different roles on the ground. And um, and for people who want another taste of Sail GP, we're actually getting uh, Basher from Media Operations on the panel of our next Sydney meetup in February, which is a week before the um, the Sydney Sail GP event. So a couple more opportunities there. Otherwise, um, uh, Hayley Hamp, was uh, one of our early, early marketing guests, which was uh, episode, I reckon, 20 way back in the day, a long time back. 240-odd episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to hear about marketing at uh, the Collingwood Football Club, which uh, would be quite interesting, interesting, then um, you can go get a taste for it there. Amazing. Well, Liv, we might wrap it up there, but just want to say it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you. Rube's obviously told me about his amazing experience at the Sale GP, but... Just chatting to you and hearing about your job, first of all, it sounds absolutely elite, absolutely love it, um, and it does sound fast-paced, but also just your journey to get to where you are now, um, and it just seems like you love what you do. It really comes out, so um, yeah, we really appreciate you giving your time today, and um, yeah, can't wait to check out Sail GP in uh, February in Sydney. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Hopefully, we'll see you in Sydney. I think you've got to get along. 100%. It's in the calendar. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be there. <laughs> I'd also say it's probably the best event. I know I sound completely and utterly biased, but nothing, <laughs> Not be nothing beats Sydney Harbour. Yes. Yes. That's very true. That's very true. Guys, it's time now for the people segment of the podcast, Our Sports Grab, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, you've got to become a Sports Grab member. Our next community intake is happening in February 2024. So very, very exciting. Ruse, this one comes from Pranav, one of our absolute favorites inside the SportsGrade community. This is a fun, uh, fun question. I kind of like it. He says, how do you respond in an interview if the interviewer asks, do you have a favorite team you support? Mm, great question. And I would love to know if, if uh, Pranav has asked this from the point of view where the team is asking if they are your favorite team because that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. Um, to give you a bit of context, the uh, the very first interview that I did for SportsGrad, the YouTube channel, was with a guy called Jim Kaler, who was the, who was the Senior Vice President for Sales and Marketing at the Cleveland Cavaliers for nine years and uh, you know worked across the start of LeBron James's career. And so they would get bombarded with people who wanted to work at the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so in response to one of my questions to him, Jim said to me, when we see the super fan walking through the door, we get nervous in a hurry. And that has stuck with me ever since. That was literally the first ever interview I've ever done. And um, he, uh, he paints a really nice picture because you've got to understand that sporting positions are in a very luxurious position where they do get a lot of interest. So a lot of people want to work for them, but what will get you in the door is understanding what you can do for the sport. So as long as you can show a sport that you have a specific skill set that can fill a very specific need and solve their problems, help grow their sport, make them money, improve their operations, whatever the job requires, as long as you can focus on that, then I think it's okay that you share that you have a favorite team because, you know, you probably wouldn't want to work in sport if you didn't have a favorite team. 
like for example, if um, hypothetically, if I was to apply for the Hawthorne Football Club now, my favourite AFL team, and they asked me this, I'd probably say, yeah, you know what? I'm a big Hawthorne supporter. I love the club. It would be great to work for you. But that's not why I think I'm a terrific candidate. I think I'm a terrific candidate because of one, two, three things that fit what they're fit the job description that they are hiring for. So I think there's no problem with acknowledging it, but just make sure you back it up with tons and tons and tons of evidence of why you actually are the best person for the job. And I reckon I reckon they can sniff out a super fan. Like it, if you go over the top, they they, they can tell. I remember I, I once I once had an interview with West Coast Rubes and I, I played on the fact that I went for West Coast. I was like, fantastic, of course I want to work here. But you're dead right. Like, don't spend that much time on it. Like, you have to just move past the the fan moment because you need to, you need to kind of move. You, you need to prove to them that you can think beyond just being a fan of the club. So, um, which is where the more important stuff comes in. But uh, it's a good question. It is a good question. I'm sure a lot of people out there, you know, might be hesitant to do it. But I think if you do it in the right way, you're all good to go. Great question, Pranav. Love your work. If you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, become a SportsGrove member during our next member intake. SportsGrove members have landed over 500 jobs in the industry. That's a big number. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's big time. Uh, <laughs> and inside, you have access to exclusive content, job boards, events, and a huge network in sport at your fingertips. So head to our website, and stay up to date by joining our newsletter. In the meantime, find us on LinkedIn. If you know anyone who'd enjoy the show, please send it on and give us some love with a rating if you enjoyed the show as well. Subscribe on Apple and follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, one last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Head to our website, www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.